So the, the title of the message this morning is, What is Your Price? What is your price? And um, I don't know if any of you um, know the warrior challenge that, that was, like, I think I did it in about 2016. Does anyone know the warrior challenge? I think it was hosted by an MP, yeah, the MP challenge. So, so what that was, was it was this race where you had, um, I think it was a 10 kilometer. I think I probably did the five kilometer because my upper body is bigger than my legs and it's a little bit difficult to run very far for me. Um, I look more like a duck when I run than anything. And uh, so what you would do is you would run 500 meters and then you would be crawling through a tunnel and then you'd run another 500 meters and you'd climb over a net and then you'd run another 500 meters and then you'd be swinging from, uh, like rings, or then you'd be over and under poles. And so there was a whole bunch of obstacles and challenges and you're in the dirt and you're getting muddy and, and eventually you get to the end and there's like these planks over a river and you kind of run on the planks, but you got to step fast before they sink. And then the last thing was you climb up this very high like tower and you jump into this pool and you finish off all like muddy and sweaty and it's glorious. It's actually a lot of fun. Um, I hope I made it sound that way. So if I was to train you for that, let's say I took a year to train you for that and we were doing push-ups and we were doing sprints and we were doing long runs and you went out and bought all your gear and you had the cross trail running shoes and the light shorts on the top. And uh, you knew you were training for the MP challenge. You knew that there would be obstacles and there would be things that you needed to do along the way. And uh, we get to the starting line and you're going down and the, 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 um, the guy's about to blast his gun and say, get, you're on the race. And I, I quickly came over to you next year and I said, um, there's a twist this year. Um, there's people actually going to be firing arrows at you. Good luck. <laughs> and I just walked away and I'm like, I don't know what the outcome's going to be. I, I hope that you make it to the end. Would you be panicked? I mean, I'm talking real arrows now. I'm not talking like the little Nerf gun arrows, like real, real arrows. These guys want to take you out. That's what it's like in this life. In 1 Peter 5, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reference scripture. If anyone wants the scriptures afterwards, you can come to me. We're only going to look at three main scriptures today. It says, um, to the elders among you. So the, for those of you who don't know, I'm one of the elders in the house. Niels in Khrubo, um Marius is here this morning. And uh, Ross will soon be um, sent out to Gauteng. And I'm preaching. So one of the elders in the house Peter writes and he says, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. So the word that I want to share with you this morning is actually something that um, it's a teaching, but it's actually something I would say we, I'm sensing in the Lord of, of what's happening in and amongst us as, as God's people on a big picture, but around us as Greenpoint. And as a, as a shepherd of the flock, when you watch what's happening, so often as sheep, our heads are so busy staring at the cotton tail in front of us that we actually don't have oversight of what's going on. But then the shepherd says, watch out, watch there. And he's given a rod and a staff, a staff to lead the sheep and a rod to beat off the enemy. But sometimes he says, be careful, there's a wolf in sheep's clothing, or be careful, there's a lion over there. And that's what I felt the Lord wants to share with me this morning. 
One of the first scriptures that when you, you'll pray over people when, uh, when, they first, when they get saved or when you want to encourage someone is, oh, Jeremiah 29 verse 11, you know, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And this is very true. We love to say Jeremiah 1 verse 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Super true. We love 1 John 3 verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. For we are called children of God, and that is what we are. We love these scriptures. But let me tell you, it's the very thing is because of those scriptures, you have an enemy that absolutely hates you. And I want to tell you a little bit about him this morning, and I want to warn you about him because he wants to take you out. So the enemy that I'm talking about, as many of you would have guessed by now, his name is Satan. The funny thing is in Christian circles nowadays or in the wider churches, people make caricatures of him. They paint him with a little pitchfork. Um, they, don't, they actually disregard him in many ways. But that's not the attitude that I saw Jesus have towards the devil. In fact, Jesus took the devil very seriously. He never belittled him. He knew his position and his ultimate fate, but he didn't mock him. And yet, so often, we just disregard him as being powerless or caricature. So the name Satan is what the devil's more referred to in the Old Testament, and the word actually means adversary. So the adversary to God, he's against God. We think in the Garden of Eden, he says, did God really say? But ultimately, Satan was... His original title was Lucifer, and he was one of the cherubim in the Holy of Holies who would fly around the, the throne in worship. He was as close to God as you could get. And we're told that rebellion and pride rose up in his heart. He said, I want to be like God. I want to be worshipped. And so what Satan was actually in charge of a third of the angels in heaven. And as Satan leads a rebellion against God saying, I want to be like God, he's cast down to earth by God or into another heavenly realm. And judgment is, is placed against him that you are now my enemy. So he rose up, but he was an angel of light originally. Even when the archangel Michael comes against him, Michael doesn't slander Satan. He recognizes who he was. He says, the Lord rebuke you. The archangel Michael hides behind the Lord. In the New Testament, um, his name slightly changes, or what we read in Scripture is called the devil. And the devil translated or the name means the accuser or the slanderer. You'll think of Scriptures like the, the accuser of the brethren. Well, the slander, he slanders the Lord's name. He hates it. So let me give you a, a couple other of his titles or what he's known as, just to paint a picture so that we don't just think of the devil. Because a lot of times people are like, oh, the devil, we know about the devil. Let me tell you who he really is. In Scripture, in Isaiah 4 verse 12, 14 verse 12, he's called the day star, the bearer of light. Fortunately, he wasn't the light giver. He was the bearer of light, but God made him that way. He was the anointed cherubim, we read in Ezekiel 28, verse 14. In Matthew 4, verse 1, he's called the slanderer or the devil. In Matthew 4, verse 3, he's called the tempter. In Matthew 9, verse 34, he's called the ruler of demons. 
In Matthew 12, verse 24, it's called Beelzebul, which means the Lord of flies or the Lord of dung. In Matthew 13, verse 19, he's called the evil one. It's called the enemy, liar, father of lies, murderer, the ruler of this world. He's also called the God of this world. He's the, interestingly enough, he's the only other one where Jesus says God, and then he brings another God. He says the God, God, my father, and the God of this world. There's only two gods. The angel of light. We know he comes masquerading as one now. The ruler of the authority of the air. The adversary, the roaring lion, the angel of the abyss the dragon, the old serpent, the deceiver of the whole world, and the accuser of God's people. Now, the reality is when you think about these things, a dragon, a serpent, who of you want to be caught in a room face-to-face with this guy? I certainly don't. In fact, none of us should want to. I think we belittle him too often that we think we can just take this adversary of ours on. But that's exactly who we encounter when we enter into this world, and a relationship with God all the more. And even all the more when we get on our knees and we pray and we actually come into heavenly places. So I want to take a little bit of scripture, which we'll put up now, um, 1 Peter 5 verse 8, from the original shepherd. Peter became the original planter of the church in Jerusalem, and um, he writes this. And we would do well to take note. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And you might say, well, what did I ever do to make him my enemy? Well, you were created in the image of God. You were given a place of honor when you came to Jesus. You um, are told one day that we will judge angels. Like, and we are going to pronounce judgment on him one day with Jesus and the angels that followed him. He hates us with everything that he is. So as soon as you are born, just because you're born in the image of God, the devil hates you. You have an enemy whether you like it or not. So Peter says this. He says, be alert and of sober mind. I don't know if you guys have ever seen documentaries of like meerkats when they come out of their holes, but they don't come out of their holes and just run around. The first thing a meerkat does is it comes up and it looks around and it surveils. And then when it sees the coast is clear, it'll like or something like that to one of its friends. I learned that from my kids' books. And, uh, and it'll, the coast is clear. There's no enemy. But the first thing it does is it pops its head up when it comes out into the clear and says, is it safe to move? Okay, we're called to be alert. We're not called to walk around on our daily life and go, well, uh, God's just covering me, you know. God's covering you, but he's, God's also telling you, you have a very real enemy. He's there. Your enemy. His whole nature is to steal, kill, and destroy from you. Because if he can get you, he's offended God. He's broken God's heart. So his whole posture, everything he does is to take you out. And then that word devour is very interesting. If you devour something, it means that you completely destroy it. 
completely destroy. So we're to be alert and of sober mind. That's what we're doing this morning. We're waking up. We don't only have a God that we serve, but we actually have a very real enemy to watch out for. And he wants to destroy us. In 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11, it says, In order that Satan might not outwit us, we are not unaware of his schemes. Okay, so he can outwit us. But Paul's writing and he says, in order that we don't get outwitted, let's get aware of his schemes. Let's find out how he operates. Whenever someone goes into battle or even when you're playing sport, generally what you'll do is you watch a video on a very high level of the, what the other guy does. I play a little bit of chess at a very low level. But the guys at the very highest level, they will study not the game of chess only. They will study their opponent. I know this guy plays a French opening or this guy does the Queen's Gambit often or whatever it is. And so he'll, they'll study the specific moves of their opponent within the context of the game. We're called to study the devil's moves. Okay, so let's put up Genesis 3 and just have a look at when he was first introduced. So very interesting. We start the Bible in Genesis with the devil being introduced as the serpent and Revelation, final where the devil gets destroyed and basically judgment is made final and carried out against him. Do you know that the two books in the Bible that are under the most attack by the devil that he hates is Genesis and Revelation? Because in Genesis, he, he, he doesn't want people to know that that's who he was and that's what he actually did. Just there's other things behind what's going on. There's evil, but it's not in the Lord's Prayer. Morris reminded me this morning. It's not deliver us from evil. It's deliver us from the evil one. It's a person. This is the one who's coming against us. And then he hates revelation, obviously, because that's his ultimate demise and it's been decided. So it says there, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals. Original translation for serpent, I just want to say, actually means to shine. Interesting. So when the serpent was in the, um, was in the garden, Adam and Eve had not been actually introduced to a concept of the devil. They didn't know that he exists. The only thing that they were told is don't eat from that tree. Walk in obedience to God. They never had their eyes on the serpent. But along comes this animal and it's shining so you can imagine that the, actually adam and eve might have been a little bit intrigued like this is interesting or this you wouldn't have aroused suspicion was more crafty do you know what craftiness means i've written it down somewhere clever at achieving one's aims by incorrect or deceitful methods Indirect or deceitful methods. So I've heard a, an interesting analogy that if you go into a fight with someone, if you kick them on the leg, and then you kick them on the leg, and the third time you feign it, so you just twitch like this, because now they're watching your leg, they'll put their head down and drop their guard for the kick, and then you can hit them. That's called crafty. Because what the person's wanting is that they're expecting something to come from here, and you're taking them out from up here. That's crafty. It's indirect, it's deceitful. It's, I need to find a way indirectly to get in and to take you out. Remember, this is the one who wants to devour us. So when he comes in a very crafty manner and he says, did God really say you may not eat from any tree? Did God really say? 
The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden. So Eve knew. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. They knew the truth. And the serpent now blatantly lies. And he says, you will certainly not die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. In that statement, it feels like God had placed a restriction on Adam and Eve. There was a little um, boundary around that tree. Okay? And sometimes in our lives, it can feel the same. Uh, God says, uh, don't sleep with someone before you're married. That's what he says. He's protecting you. He's keeping something away from you that you shouldn't be entertaining. And it feels restrictive. I mean, did God really say, I can't eat from that tree? But he's doing it for our protection. But the devil will say, God has taken away your freedom to eat from any tree. He'll deceive you. He'll make God look like an absolute killjoy. That's his tactic. You know, the interesting thing is that um, we, we need to be aware of the devil schemes, but um, the devil is studying us all the time. He's watching us. Because he's prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for those he may devour. So he's studying you. He's studying each and every one of us, because we don't all have the same weaknesses. We don't all have the same flesh desires that would want to pull us. So he looks, he goes, ah, specific to Bryce, this thing. Ah, specific to Louis, this thing. And then he waits, and he sits and he waits like a lion until that portion of us moves or a door opens, and then he goes for it. In, um, it, in Genesis 2, actually, it's a very small portion of Scripture, and it says that Adam named the animals. So um, that would have taken actually quite a long time. And then in Genesis 3, it says that the serpent came to him. I think actually the serpent came to them multiple times, multiple times, multiple times. Did God really say, asking them questions, getting feedback, building a little illegitimate relationship, a little bit of, but always as the serpent of like the shining little person, you know? C.S. Lewis um, envisions this in his space trilogy as taking months, actually. The temptation actually took months. That's what he thinks. Okay. So the devil wants to deceive us. Let me, let me address next. I'm going to skip over a couple of parts of my notes and say, what power does the devil really have? What power does he have? We've read he's the king of this world, the god of this world. He's the ruler of the principalities of the air. So he does have a lot of power, but he doesn't, he's not sovereign over God. We see when he wants to tempt and to, um, to take on Job, we see him going through the world looking for someone to devour, and then when he comes up to the heavenly places, God says, Satan, where have you been? He says, I've been roaming to and fro in his kingdom, looking for someone to devour. And then he has to ask for permission for Job. So Satan does not have more power than God. He has to ask for permission. In fact, when um, just before Jesus gets crucified and um, uh, Peter's about to, Judas and Peter are both about to fall. Obviously, we know Judas never recovers. He doesn't repent. But um, Jesus says to, um, to Peter in the book of Luke, he says, Satan has asked to sift you all, but I've prayed for you. So Jesus is praying for us right now. But even right now, the devil's saying, I want to sift you, Chad. He's asking God for permission to sift you. Scary. 
super scary. And I'll give you a story that he looked to sift me very recently. Even when Jesus was tempted by the devil, who led him to the temptation? The Holy Spirit. Interesting. With all of the life that's happening in, in Josh Chen at the moment, in Greenpoint, Ross going, opportunity for people to rise up. Ryan's word last week in terms of building family. It feels like there's a lot of momentum that's coming. A lot of teaching on the Holy Spirit. Why would we not expect the devil to pull in much closer? Because all of a sudden, we're actually starting to become far more of a threat to him with the momentum that God's wanting to break open in us. Just want to throw that out there. So Jesus gets led into, into the desert. Just want to have a quick look at his temptation. Matthew 4 verse 4. I'm going to really run through the scripture. So the devil, after fasting 40 days, the devil comes to tempt him. And Jesus, and he says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to turn into loaves of bread. Now, Jesus obviously had a need. He was hungry. He was hungry. There was a need in him. And the, um, the devil says, turn them into um, loaves of bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus used scripture to fight against him, but the devil was tempting him in a very real need. You might have a very real need to be loved. It's very real. It's a God-given need. We're created for love. You might have a very real need to eat and to have an income. God-given, we're called to work. But what the devil will do is he'll always bring an illegitimate way to get that. So God has sex for us. It's a beautiful thing. He says, go and multiply. And the devil will take it and he'll go, ah, that desire that God's given you, I can give it to you in an illegitimate way. I'll just twist it. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him. It is also written, do not put your, the Lord your God to the test. We don't need to test God's character. That is what the devil wants to do. He's the slanderer. He's the accuser. He's the adversary of God. He will often say to you, is this really who God is? We don't need to test him. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And this is why the preacher's entitled, what is your price? All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. You notice how Jesus never stepped back and said, Satan, it's not yours to give me, because it was. This world belongs to him. If you want this world, you need to bow your knee to one person, the devil. And ultimately, if you run off to the world, you will be bowing your knee to him. And he'll give it to you. It's his to give. And when the bull comes, you won't like it. This is very real. See, God has amazing things for us. But the devil will twist those amazing things. And he'll want to give it to us out of time. Maybe he's called you to eldership. I think it's in uh, Timothy where it says, don't make a new convert an elder. Why? Because pride will rise up and he'll be subject to the same thing as the devil. Like sometimes God withholds stuff from us because it's actually for our protection. He doesn't want things to rise up that would imitate the devil and pull us away from him. So if we look at, at Jesus just versus Satan quickly is, we read in Philippians 2 that although Jesus being equal to God didn't count equality something to be grasped, he took the position as a servant the devil says 
I will reach it. I will grab. I will take. How often do we have that in our hearts? I know that thing is on me. Like we see David, he is anointed as king. He cuts the robe of Saul and God rebukes him and says, no, it's not your time. This is my anointed guy for now. Jesus lays down his life. The devil grabs for life. He wants to eat it. It says in 1 Peter 5, verse 5 to 6, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble because that was the devil's primary sin. As soon as we start to do anything where it's like, I can do it, I can do it, pride rises up. Or I will build my kingdom, pride rising up. It's exactly what Satan did. Now, the one disclaimer I also want to make, and Morris, once again, wisdom pointed it out earlier, is not everything is the devil. We're born into flesh. We're born into fallen nature. So sometimes we want to disclaim, ah, the devil tempted me. No, you succumb to your own flesh. There's two things that are waging war with us. One is an external, it's the devil, and we can give him internal foothold. But at the same time, we have to crucify our flesh. We can't just give in to it. But the Satan will use our flesh to lead us astray, to tempt us. So, ah, you have a weakness. Mark, you love to be great. You love to perform. And so he pulled those things into my life to take me out. Okay, so I want to get on to the exciting part, which is defeating Satan in our lives. So I'm going to run through some scripture, and I'm going to read the scripture rather than make a point. I'll make one or two points. Satan has been defeated by Jesus, but the victory is found in Christ. It's not our victory. We need to fight in Christ. But even though he's defeated him, there's still a battle waging around us. So we can't go, the battle's been won. We sang about the battle's been won, but we are still in that battle. Satan's still around. It says in Colossians 2, verse 13 to 15, it says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed all powers and principalities and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them by triumphing over the cross. The cross is our place of victory. That's where it happened. That's where we got victory over the devil. In Ephesians 6, we know the story of the armor. It says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on God's armor. We're to dress ourselves in his armor, not just Oh, I rebuke you, Satan. It's like the seven sons of Sceva when they were casting out demons and they were like, we don't know you. You're not in the Lord, you know. Um, and they ended up beating those guys. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 3. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. These are all things that the Lord has done. What are we to do? 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 and 5. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ. And we take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. We've been given the weapons, but we still have to wield them. We still have to learn to use them. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 and 9, which we've already be alert and of sober mind. The enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. What does it say? Resist him. 
What must you do? Resist him. Stand in firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. James 4 verse 7, submit yourselves then to God. Submit to God. It's the safest place. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And lastly, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. No temptation. Remember, the devil has to ask for permission. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. When you are tempted, he will provide a way out. Okay. So God is fighting for us, but we have a lot of fighting to do as well. So let me tell you a little bit about my story, and I'll end with this, and then ask you guys just to also search your own hearts. So from a very young age, I felt like um, the Lord wanted me in ministry. Like I was somehow going to come into full-time ministry, and I went overseas first year out of school, and I served in a church there. And I've always felt a calling on my life, and part of the calling here was to become an elder. In, 20, in July, on July the 12th, 11th, somewhere around there, 2020, my dad passed away and I inherited some money and realized doors are opening. Doors are opening. Uh, there's a lot more freedom. I don't have to ask how to put bread and butter on the table anymore. I have options in front of me. And immediately something rose up in me that went, now's my opportunity. I can go into ministry. I can be great in ministry. Okay, I can be great. I want to move forward. This thing is going to look so much better. So what I started to do was I started to talk to a whole bunch of people about where they saw God's elevating me. Or I went to Andrew and I went to Kim and I chatted to all these people. And at one point, I um, also just with some spare money, I bought uh, myself a Porsche Cayman. And I didn't run it past everyone. I was standing there about to make the call. And I'm like, Neil, I'm feeling freedom in the Lord to do this thing. And all I wanted to do was to build my own ego. I knew it, but I disguised it. I was like, I became callous to the Holy Spirit. Basically, I had spiritual leprosy. I didn't want to feel what the Spirit was saying. I pushed him aside. Neil, I feel like the Lord's given me freedom and faith. And I justified it. And I gave it all these spiritual terms. And I went for it. And the first message I got was from Kim Miller. And he said, Whatever happened to humility? I felt not. My whole stomach turned. I, wanted, I literally wanted to vomit in the moment. We were looking at a house in Rondebosch at the time. I said to Lex, I feel like I want to vomit. And everything in me was like, what do these people know? Who are they to tell me how to spend my money? So I went to Andrew and I was just talking about the future and getting all excited and how can I serve. And Andrew said to me this. He said, I'm worried about your salvation. I think you could lose it. It's like, what? He said, you have the propensity or the opportunity now to get comfortable, to live the perfect life, like what Ryan spoke about last week. Just the house is put together. Everything looks neat and tidy. And just sit back and live a perfect life and get involved with your kids and all these distractions. And I, I said something to Andrew. Um, I said, damn, it's not about the Porsche and all these things. I eventually ended up selling the Porsche. The Lord led me to. That's another testimony, and it's, it was amazing. But I said something now that I'm going to say in front of you, and I cringe. I cringe saying it. And this is, uh, uh, this is where I realized the devil had a massive foothold. I said, Andrew, it's not about the Porsche and stuff. And then we're talking about spiritually. And I'm like, Andrew, I don't know what God has for me, but somehow I feel like I should be driving a spiritual Ferrari. Wow. 
wow. Even as I said, now I'm like, I'm like, it makes me tearful because I'm like the pride, the arrogance. God has placed something on me that you need, Andrew. I feel like I should be doing this. Andrew didn't rebuke me. He'd already given me his warning. He'd already been a very good shepherd over me and said, watch out for that thing. Then God worked on me. And in preparing this, I was washing a car. God often ministers to me at the moment when I'm washing. I was washing someone else's car. And he reminded me of this, that moment. That was the pride I had to root out of you. See, I wanted to build a ministry. I thought of myself as being great. I wanted to even subtly go into other people. I wanted to grab onto something. I also had Marius, Ross, and Neil meet with me the one morning. I remember Marius sending out a meeting request that came in through my calendar, and I was like, oh, this is serious. <laughs> and they sat down, and they rebuked me, and they said, Neil rebuked me very gently like a pastor. And we're going a little bit around in circles, and I started accusing Neil of not doing things in my life. And I remember Marius, and he goes, Mark, you need to repent for where you lost the plot. And in that, it, I didn't want to hear it, but in that moment, I was like, I see it. I've lost the plot, and I had to repent. I wanted to build something for myself. I sounded just like the devil at that point in time. I was grabbing onto something. You know, the, if we have any other motive, I'm done now. If we have any other motive in life but to build Jesus' kingdom his name, and make it great. There's something that's crept up inside us. I don't care if you have eldership on your life. I don't care if you have a church plant on your life. If that thing, if there's a small piece of you in your flesh that wants to grab it because somehow it will validate you and give you identity, no. Serving him and what he's done gives us our identity. If there's anything in us that is grabbing for making our name great. It can be career, it can be kids, it can be uh, ministry. And we go to Jesus and we drink of him and we take everything that he has because there's something in us that wants to look good. We've lost the plot or we've given the devil a small foothold. And like a snake, he'll just come in there to take us out. We're called not to build our own kingdoms. To called to build his kingdom. If you come to church on a Sunday morning and set up the sound because you want to look good, you've missed it. You've missed it. Or you're starting to miss it. You're going slightly off track. Something in you wants to feel good. I want to preach this morning for any other reason than to build his kingdom. I want to preach well. I want to get Morris. I want Morris, honestly, I want Morris to go back and go, Mark, preach the cooker. I built my own kingdom in my heart. I've built it. I've looked to build my kingdom. I haven't done what Jesus wants. He laid down his life to serve, to make the Father look good. And what's the reverse? God made him look good and gave him a name above every other name. We're in a battle, guys. We're in a battle. And we're watching members here in Greenpoint and all over the world getting taken out. Because they haven't, there's a roaring lion circling around and watching us as a congregation and watching us as individuals going, now's my moment. And he'll kick you a couple of times here. And then he'll hit you up, yeah, and you'll be out. What is the thing that's creeping into your heart that's keeping you from building Jesus' kingdom? It's time to build your own kingdom. So I've written down a couple of things. I'm not even going to, distraction, being overlooked. I'm serving, I'm serving, I'm serving. No one appreciates me. No one's seen it. Wonderful. God sees it. And in fact, you asking that no one sees me means you want someone to 
build your kingdom. Worries or anxiety, it's not from the Lord. Fear, not the healthy kind, not the God-fearing kind. These are all things, and he'll be very subtle, and he'll reinforce it. Louis offends me. He does something. He always does. He often does something that offends me, actually. And uh, Louis offended me. I take an offense to him. But I don't deal with it. I don't just forgive him. I don't take it to him and just sort it out. I don't just forgive him and go, I love this guy. Next thing he does, time he does something. Next time he does something. And then Marius offends me. And I'm like, this church is just full of offensive people. And I just leave. I just duck. I'm just tired of Christians. They're so judgmental and they don't see me and they don't appreciate me. Started here. Those were the, and then it ended here. I don't trust leadership anymore. I don't want them. Okay. We've got to be on our lookout. And for each one of us, it's different the way that he's tempting us. It's different the way that he's trying to take us out. And Jesus is interceding for us at the right hand of the Father saying, but he's saying, Satan's asked to sift you, but I'm praying for you. Now fight, put on my spiritual armor, fight the battle, take a stand against the devil, resist him, keep yourselves humble, stay low. Okay, that's the end of my preach. With, with, with our eyes open, is, um, did any of you feel like maybe God's highlighting something where you've started to build an arrogance, a pride, your own kingdom, anyone? Cool. Then there's opportunity to pray and to ask God to realign our hearts to his kingdom, his will, his way, to make ourselves low. Let me tell you what will happen in doing that is, it says in his time he will raise you up. So as we put him first and we lay ourselves low, Jesus will raise you up. He will take you from that low position seat at the feast and he'll move you right up to the place of honor. But if you take the seat of honor, He'll move you right to the bottom. That's what he's asking for us to do this morning. So, Bryce, I know you put up your hand, but will you strum a little bit and I'll pray for us. The Lord will touch you. Stuff's happening. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, yeah. And, and none of us are uh, so not subject to this. Sometimes the devil blindsides us until he makes us aware of it. But I want to ask that the Holy Spirit will actually start to highlight stuff in our own lives, like me. Pride, wanting to achieve, wanting my own kingdom, wanting to be my own boss. It's like he got in and manifested later. Can we stand? Can we stand together as we just pray? Thanks.